On behalf of Calvary Bible Church of Palisadro, welcome to the Bible teaching ministry of our pastor and teacher, Jim Jarrett. Here's Pastor Jim with today's study designed to help us grow in the Word. On that first Good Friday, you will remember that Jesus suffered through the injustice and mockery of trials, both Jewish and Roman. He was beaten and abused more than once, scourged, and then taken and crucified between two thieves. Our Lord was on the cross for a total of six hours. And during that first three-hour period, he hung on the cross in broad daylight. And he hung there naked, suspended in horrific indignity, visible to all those who had come to watch and to mock and to insult. But then at noon, when the sun was at its apex, suddenly and instantaneously the sun went out and they became as black as midnight. And from, three, from noon until three o'clock, or for three hours, a supernatural darkness covered the land. This was not an uh, eclipse. God did this. And by the darkness, God was saying that the cross was a place of divine judgment, The supernatural darkness that covered the land tells us God's wrath was being unleashed, that sin really was being judged there. And we cannot begin to grasp the crushing agony Jesus' holy soul experienced as God poured out his wrath and fury on his son as he bore the punishment for our sin. As Isaiah said, God made his soul an offering for sin. And during that awful second three hours, Jesus also experienced something he had never experienced before. The absence of God's presence and comfort. He was separated from God for a brief time on the cross. But in saying that, we need to understand that Jesus was not separated from the Father by nature. He did not in any way cease to be fully God. He was separated from his father in terms of his presence in intimate fellowship and communion. Because you see, God's holy nature demanded separation. And that was the real agony of the cross. Jesus endured the darkness of God's judgment, wrath, and separation from his father so that we might enjoy the blessing of salvation. And at the end of the second three hours, when atonement had been made, Mark tells us that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. The Apostle John tells us that Jesus said, it is finished. In other words, God's plan of redemption was completed. And then Matthew and John both tell us that Jesus yielded or gave up his spirit. And so on Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock, Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many, dismissed his spirit, and died. And his death on the cross satisfied the demands of God's justice. It says sin must be punished. 
Jesus received the punishment for our sins. He died the death that we deserved. He paid the debt that sinners owe to God, a debt that we could never pay. And so the penalty for our sin was paid in full. And therefore God is just in justifying ungodly sinners like me and you. From God's perspective, the cross provided for our justification. It demonstrated his grace. It declared the great cost of our redemption. And it demonstrated his perfect justice. That's what the cross is all about. But what do you think about the cross of Jesus Christ? What do you think about the cross of Jesus Christ? Turning your Bibles, if you will, to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 14 this evening. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. And I want to read to you what probably the greatest Christian who ever lived thought of the cross. He's written it down, or he's written down his thoughts in words that are very clear here in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We're going to spend our time this evening uh, in this verse. Now what did Paul mean by, by saying this? What did he mean by, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? What did he mean? Well, he meant that he trusted in nothing but Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of his sins and the salvation of his soul. And if others wanted to look somewhere else for salvation, if they wanted to trust in other things for forgiveness and peace, let them. But as as for Paul, He was determined to know nothing, or he was determined to trust in nothing, build his hope on nothing, boast in nothing, except the cross of Jesus Christ. And we cannot overemphasize the great importance of the cross. This is not one of those subjects that men may agree to disagree on and think their differences will not keep them out of heaven. A wrong view of the cross has eternal consequences. And so you'd better be right on this subject. You'd better be right on this subject, or you'll be lost forever. Because life or death, heaven or hell, blessing or cursing on judgment day, all depends on the answer to this question, what do you think about the cross of Christ? And tonight there are three things that I want us to look at. First of all, what the Apostle Paul did not boast in, what Paul did boast in, and then number three, why all Christians should boast in the cross. So first of all, what 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 did the Apostle Paul not boast in? Well, there are are many things that Paul could have boasted about if he uh, had thought as some do in this day and age. I mean, if there was ever a person who had something to boast about when it came to himself, it was certainly the Apostle Paul. But he never did. He never boasted about his nationality. I mean, he was a Jew by birth, as as he tells us himself, a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. 
So like many of the Jews of his day, he might have said, well, look, I have Abraham uh, as my forefather. I'm not a pagan. I'm one of God's chosen people. I'm, I'm not a sinner like the ignorant Gentiles. But he never said those things. He never boasted in anything like this. Never. Paul never boasted about his good works. I mean, no one ever worked so hard in serving the Lord as the Apostle Paul. In fact, the Bible tells us that he worked harder than any of the apostles. No man ever preached as much, traveled as much, and endured so many hardships for the sake of Christ. And there has never been a pastor, missionary, evangelist, or Christian worker, no one who has ever done as many good works as the Apostle Paul. But he never boasted in them as if they could win him merit or favor with God and could save him. Never. Paul never boasted about his knowledge. And he was a man of great knowledge. He had great knowledge with great natural gifts and abilities. And after he was converted, the Holy Spirit gave him even greater gifts. He was a great preacher of the gospel and a great writer. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, 13 or, or 14, if you count Hebrews, are attributed to Paul. Paul could reason with the Jews and he could reason with the Gentiles. He could argue with the pagans at Corinth, the Pharisees at Jerusalem, or the self-righteous in Galatia. Paul knew many spiritually deep things. When he was taken to the third heaven and heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. He had the gift of prophecy and foretold events that are yet to be fulfilled in the future. But he never boasted in his spiritual knowledge as if it could justify him before God. He never boasted about his godly character. And if there was ever someone who was godly, it was Paul. I mean, he was full of love. He could write tenderly and affectionately. He, he could feel for people like a mother feels for her child. But he was also bold. He didn't care who he opposed when the truth was at stake, and he didn't care what the risks were when souls were at stake. He was self-denying. He went through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. He was humble. In fact, he thought of himself as less than the least of all the saints and the chief of sinners. He was a man of prayer. And we see this throughout his epistles. He was thankful. And Paul's heart was always full of praise and thanksgiving. But he never boasted in all of this, and he never valued himself by it, and he never rested his eternal hope on it. Never. He never boasted about his position. And if there was ever a man of position within the church, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, look, he was God's chosen apostle to the Gentiles. He founded churches, ordained pastors. Timothy, Titus, and, and many elders were ordained and commissioned by Paul. He led many, many people to Christ. But did he ever boast in his office and position? Did he ever speak as if his position or his office could save him, justify him, cleanse him of his sin, and, and make him acceptable before God? No, never. And so if the Apostle Paul never boasted in any of these things, who in the world has any right to boast in them today? 
I mean, Paul said, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so who today would dare to say, well, I beg to differ. You know, I have something to boast in. Oh, so what you're saying, you're a better person than the Apostle Paul? No, Paul wouldn't boast or glory in anything but the cross. He trusted in nothing but Christ crucified for the forgiveness of his sin and his salvation. And anyone, anyone who is trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ for their salvation, whether they are trusting in their own goodness, their morality, their own religious performance or position, their baptism or communion, their church attendance, whatever, If anyone is in any way trusting in anything of their own for their salvation, then their Christianity is not the Christianity of the New Testament. Paul would not and he did not boast about his nationality, his works, his knowledge, his godliness, his position, or his gifts and abilities. Those are the things that Paul did not boast in. But secondly, we see what Paul did boast in. The verse says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul boasted in nothing but the cross. And it's important for us to understand that the cross is an expression used in more than one way in the Bible. The cross sometimes merely refers to the wooden cross that Jesus was put to death on. But that's not what Paul boasted in. He would have detested the very idea of that. The cross sometimes refers to the afflictions and trials that believers go through as they faithfully follow Christ. Well, Paul knew that cross very well because he carried it patiently. But that's not what he's speaking about here. The cross in other places also refers to the atonement that Christ made for sinners by his death upon the cross. The complete and and perfect sacrifice for sin which he made when he gave his own body to be crucified. So in other words, this phrase, the cross, stands for Christ crucified, that a saving work of Christ. And this is the meaning Paul used when he told the Corinthians, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. And this is precisely the meaning here in Galatians when he writes, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He meant I boast in nothing but Christ crucified for my salvation. And the Greek word translated here as boast, it can refer to evil boasting, but whether it refers to evil boasting or good boasting depends on whether the boast is in self or God. And here it's the idea of good boasting. And this word boast means more than than bragging. In fact, the basic meaning of this word is praise. It means to glory in, to rejoice in, to trust in, to live for, to make much of, to be consumed with, or to be mastered by something. One man said, the object, object of our boast or glory fills our horizon." engrosses our attention and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our boast is our obsession. And the cross was certainly Paul's obsession. And Paul was always boasting about the cross. 
Christ crucified meant the world to him, as it should to us. I mean, Jesus Christ crucified was the foundation, the hope, and the confidence, the the joy and delight, the comfort and the peace, the refuge and the spiritual food and, and nourishment of Paul's soul. He didn't think about what he had done and and all that he had suffered. He didn't meditate on his own goodness and his own righteousness. No, because he knew he had none. He said in Romans 7.18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Well, Paul loved to think about what Jesus had done and what Jesus had suffered. He loved to meditate on on the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, the atonement of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, and the finished work of Christ. I mean, this is what Paul boasted about or, or gloried in. This is what he loved to preach about. I mean, he went all over the Roman Empire proclaiming to lost and dying sinners that the Son of God had shed his own blood to save them from eternal wrath and hell. He walked all over the world to tell people that Christ had loved them and died for their sins on the cross. I mean, think of it. Paul, who had been a proud, Christ-blaspheming, Christian-persecuting, murdering Pharisee, who had been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and he couldn't, he couldn't keep quiet about it. And he never tired of telling the story of the cross. I mean, the cross is the subject he loved to dwell on when he wrote to believers. I mean, the the epistles he wrote are generally full of of the sufferings and death of Christ. He said to the Corinthians, but we preach Christ crucified. A little bit later in 1 Corinthians, he said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then towards the end of 1 Corinthians, he said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He wrote, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified in Galatians 3. Paul spoke of the message of the cross, the offense of the cross, the triumph of the cross, and the wonder of the cross. I mean, Paul's heart was always full of the cross. And he expounded on it constantly, and he returned to it continually. And it's the theme that runs through all of Paul's doctrinal teaching and and his practical exhortations. Why? Because he knew that even the most spiritually mature Christian can never hear too much about the cross. And so from the moment of his conversion and then for the rest of his life, the cross is what Paul lived and breathed. When he wrote to the Galatians, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, what made Paul so willing to work? What made Paul labor, literally labor to the point of exhaustion? What made him endure hardship and and suffering? What made him so untiring and persistent in trying to save some? What what made him so persevering and patient? It was Christ and him crucified, the, the message of the cross and the gospel. That's what motivated Paul. The death of Jesus on the cross to make atonement for sinners is what motivated Paul because it's the central truth in the whole Bible from beginning to end. This is the truth we begin with in the book of Genesis chapter 3. 
that the seed of the woman bruising the head of the serpent is a prophecy of Christ crucified. This is the truth, though it was veiled, that shines out through the law of Moses and, and the history of the Jews. I mean, the daily sacrifices, the Passover lamb, the continual shedding of blood in the tabernacle, and then the temple, these were all pictures of and pointed to Christ crucified. This is the truth we see in heaven in the book of Revelation at the, at the end of the book. Revelation 5, verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Even in the glories of heaven, we get a glimpse of Christ crucified. You see, loved ones, if you take the cross of Christ, you take away the cross of Christ, the Bible is not an understandable book. Because as one man said, you take away the cross, and the Bible is like the Egyptian hieroglyphics without the key that interprets their meaning. Curious and wonderful, but of no real use. And that is why a person may know a lot about the Bible. They may know the histories that it contains and the dates of all of the events described, just as someone knows the history of the United States. They may know the names of the men and women mentioned in it, and they may know the commandments that it contains. But if they don't know that Jesus, that Jesus Christ crucified is the foundation of the whole of Scripture, then what they know is going, to be, uh, is going to profit them very little. I mean, people may have a head knowledge about Jesus. They may know who he was. They may know where he was born and what he did. They, they may know about his miracles, his teachings, and his prophecies. They may know how he lived and how he suffered and, and how he died. They may know all of those things. But unless they know the power of the cross by personal experience, unless they believe in their hearts that the blood of Christ shed on that cross has washed away their sins, unless they, they know it by personal experience, unless they are willing to confess that their salvation depends entirely on the finished work of Christ upon the cross, all their knowledge will profit them absolutely nothing. Because merely knowing Jesus' name will never save anyone. They must know him personally and experientially. They must know the power of the cross and his blood or else they will die in their sins. And today we have to be aware of so-called progressive Christianity, which is not progressive at all. Because in progressive Christianity, there, there is very little, if any, of the cross. I mean, sadly, we're living in times when that warning is greatly needed and we need to pay attention to it. And we must reject anything that professes to be Christianity without the cross. And sadly, today, there are hundreds of places of worship across our country where there is almost everything except the cross. They've got the facilities, the programs, the music, the ambiance, and the crowds, but the cross of Christ is noticeably not there. In other words, the message of Jesus Christ crucified is not what is not being preached in the pulpit. 
The Lamb of God slain from before the foundations of the earth is not exalted. And salvation by faith in Him alone is not proclaimed. And that means then that everything else is wrong. And the Apostle Paul would never have been okay with churches like that. In fact, Paul severely rebuked churches that preached another gospel, which is not the gospel at all. He said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, or let him be anathema. In other words, he's saying, let them be damned. That's how serious Paul takes a false gospel. And we have to reject anything that professes to be Christianity without the message of the cross. And there are also thousands of religious books being published today in which there is everything except the cross. They're full of instructions about how to live the abundant life and and how to help yourself do this or that. They abound in exhortations about loving yourself. They have plenty of suggestions on how how to be fulfilled, how to have your best life now. But the real cross of Jesus Christ is left out. Jesus and his dying sacrificial love are either not mentioned or mentioned in in a way that is totally unbiblical. The majority of so-called Christian books published today are worse than useless. They're not worth the paper they're written on, and the Apostle Paul would never have accepted them. Paul boasted in nothing but the cross because Christ crucified is the central truth of God's word. And if you take the cross out of Christianity, you have nothing. Nothing. Loved ones, we must never be ashamed of the message of the cross. We must never be ashamed to preach Christ and Him crucified. We must never be ashamed of the gospel. And don't be surprised uh, when when to the unbeliever the message of the cross is foolishness. That's what the Bible says. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to the believer, to those of us who are being saved, it's something entirely different. To the believer, the cross is light years away from being an object of ridicule and contempt. To the believer, the cross is nothing less than the power of God and the wisdom of God. And to the believer, the cross is the manifestation of God's power at work in his life. I mean, you and I have been saved. We, we know that the message of the cross, we know what it's done for us. In the message of the cross, the gospel has transformed our lives and the change was so great and so radical that Jesus could only compare it to being born again. And as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We were saved and we believed the message of the cross, the gospel, and trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it was then that we experienced the healing of God in our, in our hearts. And we, that's when we experienced deliverance from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and, and had peace with God and joy unspeakable. 
And the message of the cross to us who are being saved is the power of God. I mean, we, we have experienced that transforming power in our lives. To the Apostle Paul, the only thing worth boasting about was the saving work of Christ, which is why he boasted only in the cross of Christ. Third, we see now why all Christians ought to boast in the cross. You know, today when many professed Christians think of the cross, they think of it as uh, painful, humbling, and degrading, which, I mean, it certainly was for Jesus. But what is even worse is that they they don't see much benefit in the story of, of Christ's suffering and his substitutionary atoning death. Many think it's something uh, very unpleasant, uh, something barbaric, almost an embarrassment. Some even see the cross as cosmic child abuse. And people who think that are tragically wrong. Tragically wrong. I mean, the cross is something all of us should continually be meditating upon. I mean, it, it is... It is a good thing to often be reminded of how Jesus was betrayed into the hands of wicked men, how they unjustly condemned him, how they spit on him, scourged him, beat him, crowned him with thorns, led him out as a lamb to the slaughter without him murmuring or resisting. It's good to be reminded of of how they stripped him naked, drove the nails through his hands and feet, and crucified him on the cross between two thieves, how they pierced his side with a spear, mocked him in his suffering, and let him hang there naked and bleeding as he took upon himself all out our sin and suffered the furious wrath of God the Father in our place and how when atonement had been made he cried out at his finish and then dismissed his spirit and died it's good to be reminded of these things as the words to the hymn say he was lifted up to die it is finished was his cry now in heaven exalted high hallelujah what a savior and it's good to be reminded of all these things again and again and again And there's a reason that Christ's death on the cross is described four times in the New Testament. There are very few things that all four gospel writers describe. Generally speaking, when Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell about something in our Lord's life, John doesn't tell about it, and he tells about things that they don't tell about. But there's one thing that all four writers tell us, and that is the story of the cross. And there's a reason for it. We forget. We forget things. And it seems to me like many people in in churches today forget that all Christ's sufferings on the cross were foreordained. They didn't just happen to him by chance or or by accident. No, they were planned and determined in the council of the Trinity and eternity past for the salvation of sinners. In the plan and purposes of God, the cross was ordained from all eternity. And so this means that there was not one throb of pain that Jesus felt, not one drop of blood that Jesus shed that had not been planned in eternity. Infinite wisdom planned that redemption would be by the cross. And infinite wisdom brought Jesus to the cross at God's appointed time. As Peter said, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. People also seem to forget that all of Jesus' sufferings on the cross were necessary for our salvation. He had to bear our sins because it is by his stripes alone that we could be healed. And this was the only payment God would accept for our sins. This was the great sacrifice that our eternal life depended upon. 
If Jesus had not gone to the cross and died in our place, the just for the unjust, the holy for the unholy, there would have been absolutely no hope for us. People seem to forget that Jesus voluntarily endured all his sufferings. He wasn't forced into it. He wasn't a victim. He did this of his own free will. He loved us and gave himself for us. By his own choice, he laid down his life. By his own choice, he went to the cross to finish the work the Father had sent him to do. Look, Jesus could have easily called legions of angels and destroyed Pilate, Herod, and and all of their armies. But he willingly suffered and gave his life because his heart was set on the salvation of sinners. As one man said, he was resolved to open a fountain for all sin and uncleanness by shedding his own blood. And you know, as we, as we think about all of this, we see in the cross God's wisdom and power and peace, hope and, and joy and gladness and comfort. And the longer we meditate upon the cross, the more we should come to realize, as one man said, that, that there is more to be learned at the foot of the cross than anywhere else in the world. Well, like what? <laughs> well, If we want to know the height, the depth, length, and breadth of God's love toward a sinful world, then we must look at the cross of Christ. Because in the cross, we see that the Father loves us because he didn't withhold his only Son from us. If we want to know how exceedingly sinful and wicked sin is in the sight of God, then all we have to do is look at the cross of Christ, and there we'll see that sin is so wicked. That sin is so utterly vile, so exceedingly sinful, that nothing but the blood of God's own dear Son can wash it away. It's the only thing that can wash it away. But if we listen to what society says today, we might somehow think that sin is is not very sinful, you know, just not that big of a deal. But we cannot think little of sin when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it was for sin that he died. If we want to know the fullness and completeness of the salvation God has provided for sinners, then we must look at the cross. Because we see in Jesus' death on the cross that full payment has been made for our enormous debt of sin. And it was an enormous debt. Christ suffered in our place. The the law's demands were all satisfied and the payment has been made for us. You You want a reason to live a holy life? And look at the cross. Because on the cross, we see the love of Christ compelling us to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. As we look at the cross, we see that we are no longer our own. We were bought with the price, and now we are bound by obligation to glorify God in our bodies. On the cross, Jesus gave himself for us, not only to redeem us from all sin, but also to purify us, Paul said, and to make each one of us his own possession, zealous for good works. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, Peter said. One commentator said, there is nothing so sanctifying as a clear view of the cross of Christ. It crucifies the world to us and us to the world. And so how can we love sin when we remember that because of our sins, Jesus died? 
And he was crucified for sinners. And yet many Christians live, live as if he was never crucified at all. If we want to learn to be content and joyful in the midst of all of the cares and, and anxieties of life, then we must look at the cross. Because he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all will also with him graciously give us all things that we really need. Look, if God has done the greater things for us, and he has, then there is absolutely no doubt that he will do the lesser things as well. He gave his own blood to purchase us an eternal home, and he he will unquestionably supply us with all that is good and profitable and, and needful for us along the way. One man said, there is no school for learning contentment that can be compared with the foot of the cross. Christians should boast in the cross as Paul did because in the cross we see the length and breadth of God's love toward a sinful world. We see how exceedingly sinful and wicked sin is in the sight of God. In the cross we know the fullness and completeness of the salvation God has provided for sinners. In the cross, we find reason to live a holy life. And in the cross, we learn to be content and joyful in all the cares and anxieties of life. You know, there were many things that Paul could have boasted about, but he did not. He only boasted in one thing, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. And all Christians ought to boast in the cross as well. And the cross is not just something to boast about, It is the only thing to boast about. Because it means that God loves us enough to die for us, that he saved us through the death of his own dear son. It means that we have been redeemed, that Christ has paid the whole price for our salvation. The cross means that we have have forgiveness for our sins, that Christ offered himself as an atoning sacrifice to take away our guilt. It means that we are justified, that God now accepts us as righteous in his sight. His wrath has been turned away, and now we stand innocent, righteous, and holy before him. And so, loved ones, boast in the cross. I mean, revel in it. Rejoice in it. Boast only in the cross because every spiritual blessing you enjoy or will enjoy is due to the cross. I mean, do you enjoy justification? Boast in the cross. Do you enjoy redemption? Well, boast in the cross. Do you enjoy adoption? Boast in the cross. Do you enjoy the Spirit? Well, boast in the cross. I mean, how can a Christian not boast in the cross? Well, let me tell you one way we, we uh, cannot boast in the cross. We cannot boast in the cross and in ourselves at the same time because the two are mutually exclusive. One man said, the truth is that we cannot boast in ourselves and in the cross simultaneously. If we boast in ourselves and in our ability to save ourselves, we shall never boast in the cross and in the ability of Christ crucified to save us. We have to choose Only if we have humbled ourselves as hell-deserving sinners shall we give up boasting of ourselves, fly to the cross for salvation, and spend the rest of our days glorying in the cross. 
You see, boasting in the cross implies that you place your confidence in Christ and his finished work for your salvation, and that's, what you're, that's, what, that's all you're trusting in. You're not trusting in your, your religious acts or your good works or, or anything that you have done or could do, but, but wholly upon what Jesus Christ has done. You look back at verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and then the last part of the verse, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And I want to move through that just real quickly. The world speaks of the system and nature of this age. It refers to all the godless values and, and hopeless pleasures of the present age. It is unredeemed humanity dominated by sin. It is the, the world apart from God, the, the mindset of the self, you know, seeking its own desire. But you see, the cross is not only something that took place in the past. The cross has a present power in our lives. It frees us from the world's bondage. I mean, as Paul says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And the best way to understand this phrase is, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, we died with him. But now we live. We've been raised with him, right? To live a newness of life. There's a new me, the, the old man, the old self has died, the rebellious, enslaved, unbelieving self died, and now there, there's a new self, a new me, a new creation. And because of salvation, a total break has occurred between us and the world. And so the world doesn't hold the, the power over us that it did before, and we don't have the affection for the world that we did before, and if we do, that's a problem. You know, as Christians, we no longer think the way the world thinks. We, we no longer talk the way the world talks or misbehave the way the world misbehaves. We, we no longer value what the world values. We no longer care what the world thinks at all. Because we've been crucified to the world. We, we died to all of that when we died with Christ and were raised with Him. Now, this doesn't mean that the world has no effect upon us. Or that our unredeemed flesh isn't drawn to the things of the world? It is. And so there's this battle going on between the, the indwelling spirit and the flesh, and it goes on all the time. But one day, though, when Christ returns, there will be no more sin, no more corruption. But for now, the Christian life is about becoming what we are. We are dead to this world and alive to Christ. And on account of the cross, the cares of this world don't have to crush us. Because we know that if God will give us Christ, he will give us all we need, ultimately. The enticements of the world don't have to persuade us because we have a new perspective and we have new affections and, and we're to live this out. One man wrote, the model for the Christian is, the world has nothing for us Christ is everything to us. This is the daily power of the cross. You know, we are to treasure Jesus. We're to treasure Him, not the world and not the things of the world. And it's the cross that gives us the power to do just that. You see, Christ has made us new people through His finished work upon the cross. 
And so let me ask you, what do you think about the cross of Christ? And I don't know what you think. But my prayer is that each one of us would be able to say with the Apostle Paul, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was always boasting about the cross. And you know, God forbid that he should ever boast about anything else. Christ crucified meant the world to him as it should to us because salvation comes by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And for those of us who have received this glorious salvation, this is our time for a fresh and, and a renewed thankfulness for the cross of Jesus Christ. But if you have any doubt, if, if there's any question in your mind about having a personal relationship with Christ, I mean, this would be the time to turn to Jesus and to confess your sin and to, and to be asked to confess your sin, ask to be forgiven, put your faith and trust in Christ alone as your Savior and Lord and your only hope for salvation and eternal life. This would be the day to do that. On this side of the cross, on this side of the events of that first Good Friday, we can look back and be extremely thankful and rejoice in the cross. But of course, for Jesus' disciples and the others who followed him, that Friday was anything but good. For them, it was a dark, deeply depressing day. Because their world had just come crashing down around them. Because Jesus was dead. What would they do? Because they had left absolutely everything to follow him. They had banked it all on him. But now it was all over. He's dead and buried. And their hopes and dreams were shattered. And they were huddled together somewhere in Jerusalem, overcome with, with sorrow and in grief and, and, and in fear for their own lives. But that would all change. Because thank God the story doesn't end on Friday with the cross. Sunday's coming, right? And with it, the glorious news that Christ is risen. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. On behalf of Pastor Jim Jarrett and everyone at Calvary Bible Church of Palisadro, we hope and pray this study will help you continue growing in the Word. If you've been blessed by today's message, or if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 530-547-4400. Again, 530-547-4400. Or write to us at P.O. Box 837, Palisadro, California, 96073. You can also email us through the church website at calvarybiblepc.org, calvarybiblepc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you. It's your love.
I'm 